And honestly, like when I said, let me teach the way I want to teach, my number one priority at all times was to have fun. If they have fun learning, everything else follows and they'll exceed your expectations. So I planned every lesson with fun in mind. And I would say, you know what, if they forget the stages of mitosis, I don't care. I want them to remember having fun, but they would still remember the stages of mitosis because they had fun doing it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so, you know, I think that we have to bring that back. These kids are so excited to learn. They're so creative, they're so innovative. And we just really stifle them with these worksheets that are just boring and they're not engaged and they're not motivated. But like, if we just go into it with the idea of let's enjoy this and provide them with an experience that they have fun at, they're gonna learn. And they're gonna learn faster yeah. than we, we would do it the other way. <laughs> are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence so you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I have the pleasure of having Lindsay Wander on the line. Lindsay, are you there? I'm here. <laughs> awesome. So glad to have you here. And for those of you who've been following along with our travels, my wife and I are still in uh, Fort Myers, Florida for our traveling. And Lindsay, you said you were coming in from Chicago, right? I'm in Chicago. Still, still no snow, but I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> No snow, and uh, I guess, you know, the streets are kind of empty there because we were talking a little bit before we got on the thing of the whole COVID stuff. We're still in the middle of that pandemic. Hopefully, uh, life will start getting back to normal soon, but, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, All temporary. Um, what I, I want to do real quick before we get too far into this is run, um, do a quick introduction for Lindsay for our uh, audience who may or may not know you. So, um, Lindsay said you moved to Chicago at the age of 29 where you decided to start your own tutoring business, which later became Worldwise Tutoring. Um, her mission is to help students of all abilities not only improve their grades and scores, but also to learn the skills to become competent and independent lifelong learners, grow into competent and conscious leaders. So with that sort of very brief introduction, Lindsay, why don't you start off by telling us what you are known for now? Like what's your business like? Who do you serve and what do you do for them? So I think what I'm known for using my background with my own education experiences and then as a teacher in the classroom and as a tutor, I've kind of done all of it. Um, I understand that learning is more than just doing problems out of a book or, you know, doing a yeah. worksheet. And my goal with the company is to really equip our students with the mindset as well as the skill set so that they can be successful as adults. And I would say probably my deeper mission is to avoid what I sure a lot of us have heard where a lot of adults 
get into their career and it's 15, 20 years down the line and they realize they're living someone else's dream and this is, they're miserable and they're not doing what they love and they haven't been true to who they are. And so I really work with kids to help them find their unique voice to pursue their own personal passions while also getting good grades and getting to good test scores, right? But really helping them figure out who they are and develop those skills so that when they do go down that path that's uniquely theirs, they can then be in their own way successful, whatever that entails. And um, it's just it's just so much more than what we're doing for the kids right now in school. So I'm trying to be more of an extension of support to expand and help them find who they really are. So with the uh, the tutoring business, I got two questions real quick on that. Yeah. Who, what's like the age group that you serve? Um, and I think the second question to that is, um, I know you've turned it into more a big a business that's sort of beyond yourself. So like, do you have other tutors? How does that, what does that actually look like? So I've always said all ages, all abilities, all subjects, and I'm being very much put to the test with the pandemic. I literally have students as young as two, and I have students up in their 50s who are doing career changes. So um up until this point, I've said that, but we mostly got middle high school, college, but now, I mean, we have a lot more ages. So because of that, and because of the changing needs of our clients who are looking for specialists for certain age groups and certain subjects, I have brought on a ton. I mean, I'm talking 40 plus new instructors. So I'm up wow. to almost 60. And that way I have multiple options for families to choose from with specialties. So I'm getting a lot more people who are wanting for help for the younger kids who are looking for people who have expertise in that, but also a lot of people who have um, children with learning difficulties, or like I said, adults that are going back to school with their own sets of challenges. And so I really just wanna make sure I have a ton of people on board, ready to go to help with, you know, literally all ages, all abilities, all subjects. <laughs> So the, the first thing that pops into my head is with, uh, you know, as someone who's growing a small team myself, having 60 people that you have working for you, how do you manage that for both like, you know, finding the right people and making sure that they're keeping your level of like the quality and the, the instruction that you want to offer, offer students over such a large group of people? So it's funny because I always say I have two superpowers and I think that's one of them. I'm just really good at spotting other amazing instructors. And a lot of it comes to like my intuition. There's some people where on paper they look good and there's certain things that are right, but just something I could feel it. And there's times I've gone against that intuition and brought them in and it ended up not working out. And I'm like, I'm learning, you know, you gotta follow that intuition. So that's definitely one part of the business I'll never let go of because I'm just, there's something I can sense in the person and it might just be the way they your, respond your to my questions. Sense. Yes, it's something I can't really describe it, but I just know. And I, I just have an amazing, amazing team and I, I don't rush it either. You know, I think a lot of people when they're hiring, they hire because of openings and they're trying to get someone to fill the spot. I more anticipate my clients needs and then get people on board slowly. I don't, I don't get someone on board just, just because I need them for a client. I already have them from before and they've been trained and they've been prepared, but they also come to me already committed to the same ideals. They might just need a little more help in specific strategies for how to actually carry out those ideals of creating lifelong learners who are confident and independent in all of the things that we discussed. So my, my next question for you then is, um, is, is has to do with sort of this whole pandemic stuff that's happened. 
you said you've hired a lot of people and your business grew really rapidly. I'm curious, were you prepared for that kind of growth? Or is that something that you had to scramble and sort of like figure out how to grow? Um, or, you know, is this just sort of, it was just like a natural outgrowth, like, hey, we're, we're ready for the stress of rapid growth. You know, I think that, and this is something I work on with my students, I think my resilience level at, is really high. And I'm really good at when things are tough, I rather than wallow in the depths of it, I'm like, all right, what do we got to do? Let's just get it done, you know? And so prepared in the sense of I've hired people before, but with that mass to the point, literally I was working for like six months, seven days a week, like 14 hour days. Cause you know, hiring's a lot plus everything else I was doing yeah. to revamp my business. But it was just one of those things where it's like every once in a while, you just got to put your head down, knock it out, get it done, make adjustments. I'm committed to this business. I'm passionate about it. I'm not willing to let it go because I really think it's providing an exceptional service for people and you just get it done. <laughs> you know, it's like, it is what it is. It's temporary. And I'm back now to being able to have a little bit of a life again, you know? Um, and I think one of the things that honestly caused me a lot of stress at the beginning of this pandemic was the current educators, the instructors that I had weren't getting enough work because even despite what people might think, um, the tutoring companies actually got hit pretty hard in the beginning of this. Mainly, I think parents were just not really sure what they needed yeah. help with and it was survival mode and education just kind of got thrown to the side like look we're, we're trying to survive and it was really keeping me up at night you know those people who rely on this income um and they weren't getting it and so i really put in the effort to revamp the business to grow it and to adjust to the changing needs of our clients and then with that the clients started flooding in and I knew that that was going to happen. So I anticipated it at the same time I was hiring and training and getting everyone ready. So yeah. for that mass of a, of a, of a growth, no. And in fact, I actually had it a goal of mine. I didn't want to get higher than like 15 in each city. Um, and I think that was my, a lot of my own personal roadblocks. I had my own, you know, <laughs> I know yeah. you call them like your kryptonites. And I think there's certain things there that kind of are, have been a problem for me in the past. But then with this, I just said, you know what? Sky's the limit. You know, these kids need us, the world, but there's a spotlight in education right now. You know, I have an amazing service, an amazing concept, and our kids are moving and shaking out there in the world right now. And I'm like, let's just go with it. Why am I holding myself back? So if anything, it was my own you know, yeah. issues before. That's such a, uh, such a cool story too, right? Cause we've, we've talked a lot over the last couple of months on this show with guests about how um, there, there's like two options when you get hit with something like a global pandemic. And this is like, unlike anything we've seen in the past hundred years, right? Cause it's like shut down the global economy to like ground it to a halt kind of thing. Um, and you have two options there. One is you can just, you know, sit back and watch Netflix and watch it happen, or you can get to work. Right. And yeah. you can start taking advantage of the opportunities that happen when yeah. the world changes. And absolutely. Um, and I've seen both among people. You know, you see some people and you're like, why to shake them? Like, do something. Like, why are you just sitting back? But yeah, it's just different personalities, I guess. And maybe your own passion about what you're doing. Um, but like I said, I love, I love this business and I know it's working. So I'm like, you know what, let's just do it. If I have to give up a little of my social life for a temporary amount of time, I'm going to do it, you know? <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of, uh, um, one of, one of the metaphors I use regularly is a, uh, um, this whole, you know, they've got this, uh, what do they call it? The work-life balance where it's like the, the legal scale where everyone's trying to get their work-life balance to like mm -hmm. even out. And I'm always like, I've always hated that metaphor because yeah. it's just not reality. No. Um, and like your story, it strikes me as, as being very, um, it fits out well with the metaphor I use for work-life balance is that it's more like a rubber band. 
where like sometimes hmm. you have to really stretch the rubber band. Um, and, and, you know, when you stretch the rubber band, when you let go, you can rock it forward in your business. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you stretch it too far, you can break it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you want to know where your limits are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but you have periods where the rubber band is sitting there and you have r- mm-hmm. periods where the rubber band is stretched really hard. And that sounds mm-hmm. like you just, you, you spent several months going through the stretch the rubber band mm-hmm. phase. And honestly, like the past, like four or five days, I had, you know, family, you know, concerns I had to put my attention towards and business got put on the back burner for a little while. And that's just life. You know, there's certain times that things need your attention and you just knock it out and people will understand, you know, and they're going to, that's something that's been a learning part for me too, is I'm so quick about replying. I'm so quick about getting things done, but not everyone holds me to those expectations. It's me holding myself to it. So sometimes I'm just like, I'll get back to you tomorrow, you know, and they're fine with that. Everyone yeah. is really understanding that, you know, family is important right now and, and that's okay. Sometimes the rubber band goes the other way, like you said. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, my, my next question for you then is uh, after getting to sort of hear your, your, what it is that you do is to find out your origin story, right? So every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. Um, and we want to hear that story. Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into the tutoring business? Or, you know, did you start in a job and eventually become an entrepreneur? Basically, we want to know where you came from. Man, I think I was hit by lot, a bit by lots of radioactive spiders. I've had a lot of <laughs> career changes um, throughout my life. And I think a lot of people, that's kind of the case. It's, it's not a straight road where I just said as a kid, I want to be a tutoring business owner. You know, I actually had a long, windy, bumpy road. Um, I originally went to school for biomedical engineering. I had ideas that I was going to be building prosthetic arms that your mind could control. And I studied genetics and chemistry, super cool, right? Until you get into the lab and then it's like yawn and, you know, it's super boring and I couldn't stand it. The genetics lab for me just didn't work. Um, I ended up switching my major to ecology. So I was out hiking in the forest. And then, so I ended up graduating with these degrees in biology, chemistry, and math. And I was like, what am I going to do with these? I want to travel the world. So I did internships all over the world in those fields so that I could test out the careers before I actually committed to them. So I did, you know, research, I did grant writing, I did teaching, um, and it was the teaching that I fell in love with and went back to school for my teaching credentials. So, you know, me who was originally going to be this engineer, now I'm going to be a teacher at low income schools and middle schools. Um, A lot of people were shook by that. You know, a lot of people were like, what are you doing until they saw me teach? And they're like, yeah, this is, this is where you need to be. This is perfect for you. And honestly, I I would probably still be doing that. I was tutoring on the side, um, but it wasn't really a goal of mine to have a tutoring business. I was happy as a classroom teacher. I loved my job, but it it wasn't until I moved from California to Chicago and thought, eh, I'll find a school that gave me the same freedom to teach. And I didn't. And that's when I said, forget this. I'm done having these people. (laughs) Sorry for anyone who's an administrator, but a lot of times you'll hear the complaints from teachers that there's a disconnect between administrators and teachers. And you have the administrators telling the teachers what to do, but they've never been in the classroom. And so I just said, you know what, at this time, I'm going to do what I know is right for these kids. I know how to teach them. I'm not going to sit here and just do test questions with them all day long when I have a storage unit full of microscopes and dissection kits and let's get these kids learning and having fun. And that's when I started the tutoring company. And I honestly, it was just me for a couple of years. And it wasn't until I outgrew myself that I said, all right, I got to hire someone. And it was my, my friend who said, the first one you hire will be the hardest. 
And after that, you're going to be like, why didn't I hire people sooner? And it's so true. Here I am at almost 60 tutors, you know, just about five years, six years later. Um, so it wasn't really a straight path, but all of those experiences, all the things that I hit along the way, really got me to be able to be as successful as I am now because I've used those experiences. So it, it kind of, it's like I went down the path I was supposed to go down, even though it wasn't my original intention. I just followed my gut all along the way and it worked out. Yeah, that's really awesome. And I love, I love the, uh, just the story of, of like how you sort of fell into, fell into it, right? You're like, this it's just not working for me to teach this way. Um, and I know like it, you know, I, you look like you're around my age. I know when I was going to high school, it was a very different experience than what yeah. kids are seeing today mm -hmm. in school. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, the bureaucracy that's come in and the um, changes in the government. And like, there's just a lot of stuff that has changed school dramatically from so we political. Yeah. yeah. And um, I've like, I've met a number of teachers, like as we've been traveling around, um, I've met a, a surprising number of pe teachers who have retired and started traveling. And when you start talking to teachers who have retired, a lot of them are, they're young people, right? They're not mm -hmm. like retirement age. They're just like, I'm, I'm out of teaching. And the reason they're out of teaching is like, I can't, I can't teach anymore. Like yeah. I can't do the thing I want to do. It's in not the, the kids. Yeah. It's not, yeah. we're not burnt out by the kids. We're not burnt out by the teaching. It's the, the red tape and the hoops. And it's just, it's mm -hmm. exhausting, you know, and you just want to teach, <laughs> you know, you just, and it's not that I want to, I'm not saying it because I want to be, I'm not trying to be lazy. Like literally I go home every day and rewrite my lesson plans, but it's like, I know my kids, I know what to do with them. Let me, they're going to hit their standards. They're going to pass whatever tests you give them. Even if I don't teach the way you want me to teach, just let me teach them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, school for kids. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, right? Like it surprises me how much they learn. Yeah. Um, when you teach to them, right? Yes. And not to standards, if that makes yes. sense. And, and I think that because school systems have gotten so big, people, you know, try to just, just package it and to say everyone should learn this way. And that's not the case. And I'm a big proponent of student centered learning. And that's the way I teach. And it was, was frustrating when I was told, no, 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 just teach it this way generically. And my kids would not succeed and they would succeed the other way. And I'm like, I don't want to so, teach that way. So you probably will really relate to this then because um, one of the things that like my wife and I struggled with for quite a while was my oldest son um, is an auditory learner. Mm -hmm. And my wife, who's the one who mm -hmm. does all the teaching for the school or for the kids is a visual kinesthetic mm -hmm. learner. And so she kept putting the lesson stuff together for him visual kinesthetic and I was like and and he was just not getting it mm -hmm. or having any like success with it at all and it finally dawned on him dawned on me one day I was like he's an audio learner like I am right and and so I walked my wife through it I was like hey he's he's probably like this is what you need to do because this is how I learned and she switched all the stuff up for him and he just like a rocket ship changed yeah. everything it's so right? easy it's so yeah. easy that's actually one of the first things when I have my trainings with my tutors is to to remind them we teach the way we learn, but not our, our kids learn the way that we learn. So you have to be able to look for signs of their learning style, and it's really easy to see, and then adjust your teaching accordingly. And I'm sure your wife was, it was easy for her to adjust, you know, it's just yeah. was her natural tendency to go the other way. And I think that's a misconception. I think a lot of people think that those changes are so difficult and so 
you know, time consuming or they need training. And, and when you're an educator, you know, it, you can adjust, you're used to adjusting for kids. You had the plan B of the camera. I could tell you work where, you know, you help with your kids. <laughs> we just kind of know to always have, you know, something in our back pocket. So I, I really hope that with this pandemic, you know, things change with our education because yeah. parents are having their kids at home, just like you're seeing and realizing more about their children and how they learn. And I'm telling these parents, you have voices, go to the schools and tell them, you know, I want things done differently. They're going to listen to you, you know, more than they'd listen yeah, to yeah. me or a teacher. So I am really hoping that, you know, things change yeah, for these I kids. We're, we're doing there's gonna be a lot of change. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of change because um, like a, a lot of students are coming home and then the parents are being a lot more involved in the education, even if it's just like, hey, they're actually in the same room because I'm at work on this computer and they're at school on their computer over here. And they get to see the education happen in real time. And they're seeing the dissatisfaction, right? They're seeing yep. the non-engagement and they're saying like, hey, something like this is not going down the way I thought it was going mm -hmm. down. <laughs> exactly. And I, um, and I love it because this is something that has needed to change for a long time. Our technology has grown but our, our teaching methods have not adjusted accordingly. I mean, I always say, if you can Google it, why memorize it? You know, like we, we really got to adjust the way we teach <laughs> these kids. And even now they can't really do like multiple choice tests because the kids can just Google the answers. So they're being forced to do like more project-based learning. Good. That's how we should have been doing it a long right? time ago. Yeah. So there's yeah. certain things that are changing. I'm, I'm happy to see it. Yeah. That's one of the things I tell my son all the time. I was like, don't memorize things you can look up right? Absolutely. You have, use your brain space for other things. Exactly. And like the skill you should have is the skill of how to find what you need. Exactly. Right? Whether that's a and, person or it's information or whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and be empowered to do that, you know, and be able to advocate for yourself when you are still confused or can't find what you need, you know, to say, I looked here, here, and here, and here, and I still can't. Like, that's a great skill set. And then to know when yeah. to ask for help. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and we just don't do that in the school system. The other thing that's blown me away um, is the uh, the the technological technological baseline of our children versus mm -hmm. like our baseline is yeah. very different. Oh yeah, because right? like like we we grew into technology. Mm -hmm. Our children were born into it, mm -hmm. right? And so like my son, when he hit like seven or eight years old, a few years ago now, um, he's doing his schoolwork and um, and we're trying to like teach him how to type was one of the, like one of his classes he had to go through and like learn how to type. And he's like, I don't understand. Why do I have to learn how to type? And he's like, I can just talk to the computer and it does whatever I want. Right. And because Siri yeah. is just like, as far as he's concerned, Siri just does everything. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was like, you're in this like weird position where like you are probably the last generation of kids who will have to learn how to use in input output systems like a keyboard mm -hmm. and mouse, but you're still there. So you have to learn it because I'm saying you have to, mm -hmm. but he's also right. Right. Like, yeah. His kids probably will not even know what a keyboard is. Mm -hmm. Valid point. <laughs> uh, and that's why I'm saying like our technology has changed. Our education needs to change with it, you know? Yeah. Because I mean, I have my three-year-old nephew was here today and the way he navigates my computer and my iPad, I mean, there's times I'm like, how did you figure that out? And, and I mean, they're so savvy. And even with all of this, you know, remote learning, there's so many opportunities there to really differentiate instruction, to really, you know, push kids to a different level of innovation and problem solving. And yet we're trying to just mimic what happens in the classroom at home, but online. And I'm just yeah. like, you're missing the point people. There's so much we could be doing with this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been like for, for us in the, in, in the homeschool space, like it wasn't a huge change for us when the pandemic happened, because we were already doing a lot of mm -hmm. the homeschool things. Um, but it's mm -hmm. been, it's been fascinating to see a lot of our friends, bring their kids home and then realize that teaching their kids isn't nearly as hard or as scary as they thought it was going to be. Um, 
And that's so, that's so cool. A, you know, yeah. that's great. That's another great thing of this pandemic is it's building resilience in all of us. I don't think we could have ever, this is so sci-fi. We probably never thought we'd be able to be okay with something like this. And when it first happened, I mean, we weren't okay, but look at us now almost, you know, we're getting close to the end of the year and we made it and we're still doing all right. You know, it's not ideal, but you know, we're doing okay. And honestly, I think our kids have been the ones that adjusted the best, you know, they're, they're just so flexible and just so, so you know, flexible. yeah, it's, it's yeah. just really cool and inspiring and, to see. And I've been really blown away by like, if you look into some of the some of the people who are innovating in the education space um, on on the things that you can do, things like um, Khan Academy, or yeah. like we have um, we have some like quick math stuff that our kids go through, and we have some other things that are like like they're they're starting to integrate um, gamification into learning yes. in really cool ways. Where like mm -hmm. my my son is going through a coding class right now, where they've turned all the stuff like I learned to code the hard way, right? Yeah. And my son's learning to code with like these cool code blocks. And he's like, he's getting all excited every day with like the new problem that he's solved in coding. And like, he's learning if else statements and like all this stuff that's really complicated, like looping, um, looping, uh, what do you call them? Functions and whatnot in yeah. coding. And mm -hmm. I was like, I was 30 before I even like could wrap my mind around this. And my son's doing high level coding stuff with, you know, some fancy technology. Um, and like, if we wanted to, like all the stuff he's doing for coding, he could buy a robot and it'll like all of his coding yeah. would apply to like a real world robot thing. And I'm like, it's super cool. The kind of innovations we have available in the education space, if people would just use them. And honestly, like when I said, let me teach the way I want to teach, my number one priority at all times was to have fun. If they yeah. have fun learning, everything else follows and they'll exceed your expectations. So I planned every lesson with fun in mind. And I would say, you know what, if they forget the stages of mitosis, I don't care. I want them to remember having fun, but they would still remember the stages of mitosis because they had fun doing it, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so, you know, I think that we have to bring that back. These kids are so excited to learn. They're so creative. They're so innovative. And we just really stifle them with these worksheets that are just boring and they're not engaged and they're not motivated. But like, if we just go into it with the idea of let's enjoy this and provide them with an experience that they have fun at, they're going to learn and they're going to uh, learn faster yeah. than we, we would do it the other way. <laughs> It blows me away too, right? Because yeah. like my my two oldest who are in in school the most are uh, you know they're they really love the curriculum and all the uh, sort of stuff that we're going putting them through, um, and it's fascinating to see them like light up and be excited and want to come yeah. and share their stuff that they're learning with you, um, because you're like that's that's what you want to see. You want to see them yep. like I love it when my son gets up and interrupts me in the middle of work, be like I solved this problem with coding yeah. or whatever it is, or like he's uh, he's doing something. And with, what's uh, I mean that's the science. confidence, yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember what he's doing in science because like, I'm not, you know, I pay attention enough to like get what he's going, but I'm like, you know, he's interrupted me. So I don't always know yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, what yeah. he's talking about. But anyways, he's always coming in like he's excited about his schoolwork. And that's the thing that I, I wish more people could see, mm -hmm. right? Because if your kids aren't excited about school, there's something wrong. Yeah. So. And, and the thing is, if they get excited about learning and they feel confident, then they start becoming more independent and start taking more risks with their learning and trying new things and exploring new learning opportunities and becoming a lifelong learner, which is really the bottom line of my business. If yeah. you're a lifelong learner, sky's the limit for you. You know, you could do anything because you're constantly learning and improving and growing. And I, and I, and that's really all comes down to, did you have fun when you were learning yeah. is really what it is. 
and the whole the the lifelong learning thing is like a prerequisite if you ever have like you know our audience a lot of them are entrepreneurs right if you're trying to yeah. raise children up to have that kind of skill set right it's 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 that constant learning and the the willingness to as you said take risks right because you know entrepreneurs have a higher risk tolerance than other people mm -hmm. um and that, a lot of that comes down to how you learned to learn mm -hmm. absolutely so it's exciting cool. so, times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your superpowers then, right? Every iconic hero has a superpower, you know, whether that's a fancy flying suit made by genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills um, that you are either born with or you developed over time that really help you to help the people in your life slay their villains, right? And, you know, come out on top in their journeys. So with that sort of framing, what do you think your superpowers are? So I definitely think I have a strong sense of intuition, which then helps me with the power of being able to bring on amazing staff and people who are aligned with the vision of really helping our students to grow beyond what's happening in the classroom. But I also think another one of my superpowers is the ability to read people. And I, I don't know if it's something I was born with or something I developed from traveling. And I'm a huge proponent of traveling and stepping outside your comfort zone and really adapting to what's going on because that ability to read people has really led me to be able to assess kids really quickly and accurately and then provide them with what they need to go down a different path than they're going right now because they're obviously needing some help. And I mean, that's, that's became really evident as soon as I first started teaching, I had kids, they'd step into my classroom the very first day. And like one kid, I was like, this kid has Asperger's another kid, this kid is dyslexic or, you know, whatever it might be. This kid has never learned how to read. And he's in eighth grade. How has he been pushed through all the way to eighth grade, never learned how to read. And I can see it instantly. Or if there's something else, you know, like there's a student who's just lacking motivation. What's the real reason for that? If they're lacking engagement, what's really causing that? So digging deeper than just treating the symptom, more kind of figuring out, well, what is actually causing that issue? And then diagnosing to be able to provide them the solution to, you know, be able to not just fix the symptom, but actually fix the root of the issue. Um, and a lot of that just comes from being able to read them, to be able to kind so, of figure out what's going on. So I almost feel like those are, are two parts of the same, like underlying Agreed. superpower, right? Where, 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 and I like, yeah. I, I have something similar with the ability to read people um, mm -hmm. and like something like looking back over my life, um, I almost feel like, like the, the underlying superpower is something that you've born with, but the more you use it, the more it like, yeah. the more attuned it becomes. Mm -hmm. So that's where like traveling and doing things like that yeah. really, they, they sort of like bring clarity to things that you might not have, have known. Um, and the more remember, you do it and succeed at it, the more confident you become to use it next time. Yeah. And the more confident you become of your assessments of other people too. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've noticed personally, the better you know someone, the easier they are to read. Um, mm -hmm. So like my wife, it bothers her. Um, not, not like really bothers her, but it's, she's like, it's almost like you can, like I've got a billboard on my head and you can just read my thoughts. Mm. <laughs> um, but the, uh, the thing that, that sticks out for me there is that it's, it's a skill that you you have to put into practice and use. Mm -hmm. um, and when you is particularly when you're using it to help other people, right? Help them, you know, grow or change or get better. Um, I remember when I was a young man, um, I had uh, one of my early mentors. He he told me he was uh, he told me early on he was like, 
you have he, he he saw that in me and he was like you're not going to believe this now he's like but you need to be careful what you say and how you say it to people because they'll listen hmm. right um and and i was like i remember at the time i was like 16 or 17 years old and i was like whatever and went off on my way <laughs> um, yeah. and it wasn't until many years later when i realized that like oh he was actually like serious about that i had a few experiences where you know someone came and asked me for advice and i you know because of that ability to read someone gave them very you know timely pointing advice and they took it and acted on it and i was like oh i should have like thought about that more and yeah. like you know internalized it a bit and realized the 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 weight that comes with being hmm. able to help someone else that way right um and so you know to your point in the education space you're talking about these kids whole futures right everything is gonna you know their whole life is gonna be based on what what they how they you know how they learn how to learn does that make mm -hmm. sense Oh yeah, absolutely. Metacognition is the phrase for that. And yeah, we do a lot with metacognition. Yeah. And that's again, one reason why I think I'm never going to let that part go of my business. You don't know, always deal with this, the incoming clients, not deal, but I'll always handle the incoming clients because I want to make sure I can get them down the right path because it is so important, you know, that they're getting yeah. those, you know, what, what they need. So when, when clients come to you and like their students come to you, do you, do you like, you like filter them out to your, your uh, tutors? Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I know my tutors really well, and then I get to know the student and then I match. So, and I'll offer the families a couple options to choose from, because again, I have close to, you know, we're getting a ton of tutors. So I have a lot of options for them. Um, but I, I will narrow it down from the 60 to like the top two or three that I feel are a good match. And I always have like one, it's almost like a matchmaker. I always have one that I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is the best fit. And I really hope they pick that one. Um, and they usually will, you know, but they're there. I'll give them a couple options and they're all good options or you're not going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. So talk to me a little bit more about the, uh, you, you used a nice big vocabulary there where, where the uh, metacognition, what does mm -hmm. that mean? Thinking about how you think. So it's involving um, your learning style, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, being aware of your learning style, your dominant learning style, but then still being able to utilize strategies from other learning styles because the world is a blend of all of them, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, it's also being able to evaluate your successes, your failures, and learn and grow from them. Um, it, does, it does combine a lot of monitoring your your self-talk and your own thought processes along the way. So knowing when you're stuck, what's getting you stuck, knowing, you know, last time you got stuck, you got out of it this way. So you can utilize this method or, you know, stress prevention techniques. I know I can do this when I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed. So it's just being really aware of your emotions and your thoughts and your learning and being able to analyze and address them rather than kind of have yeah. something external do it for you. So it's that introspection where you're actually like exactly. looking into your own mind and seeing seeing what's there and what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. I have a uh, I have a fun essay I wrote a, about a year ago that was just a it was like a, a walk through my mind kind of thing. Like you know I, like here's the room where I keep all my negative self talk. Yeah. <laughs> right. And here's the room where I go and I need to have like the positive stuff. And uh, mm -hmm. you know it was it was just a, a fun exercise for me of like like particularly with negative self talk, which is something that yes. I know a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with is like, how do you, how do you deal with it? Like in your head? Right. And for me, it helps to actually like put it into like a, a real world picture of like, Hey, and for me, it's like, I've got this dark room in the corner that's got cobwebs and there's a box in there. And I just take all the stuff I don't actually believe about myself, but it's still there trying to call to me, mm -hmm. stick it in a box and put it all in the locks on it. But like that's, that stuff's not real. 
right? Absolutely. Um, well, you know what was have, interesting. You have to have a place oh, for it because it's there, right? Yeah. It, like it exists, and mm-hmm. you have you have to acknowledge it and yes. know where it fits in your mind. Exactly. And honestly, I think that that's been my biggest issue my my whole life and growing as an entrepreneur is that negative self talk. And, and it hit me this year that most of the negative self talk that I have, the things I say to myself were actually things that were said to me when I was a child that I have internalized. And when that hit me, I was just like, okay, even more reason why we need to be doing what we do with these kids because we're changing (laughs) their inner dialogue and, you know, changing their, their thoughts. And it's funny. I've had students tell me, I hear you in my head when you're not there and it's creepy, but it's cool because they start doing the things and asking themselves the questions that I ask when they're not there, but also praising themselves and readjusting their own thoughts of themselves and their image of themselves. And that's so important because I really think if you don't, if you don't replace that negative self-talk at its root, it's just going to always be there in that dark room, you know, nagging at you. And it's like, I see it so much for what it is now. And it drives me crazy. I'm like, I'll get a project done. And I'm like, okay, final touches, you know, on my keyboard and my final touches. And then this little voice in my head goes, that's not going to work. You know, you just wasted your time doing that. And I'm like, ah, I hate that. So, you know, that's a, that's a big thing. And that's something we really work on with our kids with that metacognition component. It's a, and it's hard too, right? Cause like, I know for me, it, it wasn't until I got into my thirties where I even started to become aware that yeah. that negative self-talk wasn't just a hundred percent truth. Yeah. Right. Like it's the, like, I don't know what you, like you, you just buy in as a younger, younger person to whatever your mind is telling you, um, yeah. not realizing that you can choose which stuff that's in your head is you accept. And especially I know me because I really do try as much as I can to follow my intuition. I have to separate that. That's not intuition. That's not, you know, maybe back in the day in my childhood or whatever, you know, it might've been something to as a protective measure, but it's not serving me anymore as an adult. You know, I know what's going to work for me and what's not. And if I'm doing it, it's going to work. And that stuff isn't helping me anymore. So that's something I've definitely been working on in 2020 is learning to identify it and see where it comes from and realize, like you said, it's, it's not truth and not to give it any power anymore. Lock it in that dark room, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that actually, I think makes a good transition for the next question, which is about your fatal flaw, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, every Superman has their kryptonite or, you know, every Wonder Woman has her bracelets of victory. She can't remove without going mad. Um, so you probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you've struggled with. Um, maybe like for me, it was perfectionism, um, you know, and I would I would not want to ship things because I wanted to tweak them just a little bit more. I could make it a little bit better because, you know, that negative self-talk in my head was telling me it wasn't good enough yet. Mm. Um, or lack of self-care, which for, in my case led to letting my clients walk all over me and not actually having, you know, good appropriate boundaries. Let me, you know, get that whole work-life balance thing going. Um, but I think more important than the flaw is how have you worked to rectify it over the years so that it's not making as much of an impact on your business? Um, and hopefully sharing will help our listeners learn a little bit from you. So I think, you know, they're probably tied together, but I, I, I think my biggest flaw or setback in a way is myself and my own setting limitations for myself. 
I think I've had it, and I know we talked about this before, I always had it in my mind that business owners were greedy and entrepreneurs were just about getting the money and they didn't care about their customers. And when I did end up starting a business, I just said, I don't want to grow too big. I don't want to lose touch with my clients. I don't want to lose touch with my tutors. Like I still want to have my hands in certain things and not a control thing. I'm happy to just, you know, hand things off to people. You want to do my payroll, do it. But it's more of like, this is what I know I'm good at. And I, and I don't want to get so big that I can't do it well anymore because then there, what's the point of having the business? And it really wasn't until recently that I realized I can be a business owner. I can be successful and I can still be true to my original mission of starting this business, which wasn't to start a business. It was to help other people. And honestly, I think that's true of most business owners. They had, you know, a mission or something they wanted to help others and it turned into a business. Nobody says, I want to do payroll and manage people. Like that's not, you know, something that's super fun for them. That the reason they went into the business. And so that's been something I, I've realized is I can still do what I set out to do and grow and help even more people, not only the students, but their families. You know, we bring a lot of peace to their families because I've had one mom say, you guys are cheaper than therapy, <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah. And she was like, we're keeping you for as long as we, we want to, because it's just brought peace to the whole family. But then also creating jobs for people where a lot of the instructors I have, this is their second job and this is where they find their joy and their reward and you know they find their meaning in life. And it's just so great to be able to bring that happiness to so many people and still have you know success, you know, beyond just the money side of it. Like everyone is is succeeding in their own way and the ripple effect of that. So I, I think it's 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 been my own self-talk, my own holding myself back because I didn't want to be that person or I didn't want to put too much into something that didn't work. And the way that I've handled that is just, again, following my intuition, really, really listening to my intuition and knowing, okay, if this is something I feel good about, I'm going to make it work. It's going to work, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and this is kind of something I help my students with. I mean, if this is something you're passionate about and you love, you're going to make money at it. It's going to happen because people are going to sense that they're going to tell you love it and the, and the money will follow. But if you go into it with money as your only, you know, mission, then people are going to sense that too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's an interesting thing, right? I mentioned, I know we mentioned before we got on and started recording that like, that's actually the, the purpose of this show, right? And it goes back to that, that self-talk that we embed into kids, we imbue into them, whether we mean it or not. Um, and one of the ones that we have, frequently in our culture is that entrepreneurs are the villain, right? And so, so many entrepreneurs like yourself or myself or people that I talk to all the time, they're like, I got into business and the thing that I had to get over was this idea that profit is bad, that sales is bad, that, yeah. that like growing a business is a negative thing, not realizing that like in a capitalist society, you're talking about equal exchange of value, right? Mm -hmm. That like, like the only way, reason that, and it's voluntary, the only reason a business grows is because you're providing a value to them that they want, right? right. Um, that's greater to them than what they give you in return. Mm -hmm. So um, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, and I wish more people understood that because then they'd be freed, so to speak, to give their value to the world. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, to your point, that ripple effect, your business does more good for more people, the bigger it grows. Mm -hmm. Right. And like that's that 
that, that and that was a people in a positive way yeah that was a mind blow for me to realize that because I thought it would be the opposite yeah yeah and so it's so simple when you say it I'm like yeah duh but it took me years to get to the point to realize that you know yeah and that's a it's a hard thing right because it's that it's that internal self-talk that you mm -hmm. don't even you don't even you just you just believe it because that's what what was put in when you were a kid um, so anyways, yeah, I, I, I appreciate that and totally feel you there. <laughs> so my next question for you then is your common enemy. Um, and so every superhero has what I call an arch nemesis. It's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, it takes on many forms, but we generally put this in the context of your clients, right? So your students, your parents, I assume you would consider your, the parents, the clients, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what's a mindset or a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome in order to get them the results that they want to see, right? With their kids and their growth and stuff like that. Well, one of the things, it's, it's changing now with the pandemic, which I'm happy about, but I think that we've been so focused on grades and test scores and so I have a lot of parents who come to me just because their kid has a bad grade in a class or isn't getting a score that they want. And that's fine. I bring them on and I give, you know, do what we need to do. But I realize there's more to it than just the grades and the test scores. And we provide them services accordingly, even though the parents aren't asking for that. So we work on their confidence and their metacognition and their executive functions, even though the parents aren't asking for it. I understand that that's what they need. Um, so I really think we need to change our perception of intelligence and success. And it's not always um, the kids that are getting the A's and are getting the high scores are necessarily the ones that are gonna be successful. Um, and that even goes along with, you know, attending college. You know, I, I help kids with their, with their college applications. Everyone wants to go to these big name Ivy Leagues. And it's kind of like, you know, your education is what you make of it. You don't have to go to this big school. I didn't go to a big school and I've gotten every job I've applied for, you know, because of my experiences and what I bring to the table. And so it's really just changing. I think people want to put these, these labels and these nice things on their resume, you know, their grades and their tests and their, and their degrees. And there's just so much more to that in the real world. And we know that as adults, you know, but yet we're still holding our children to these standards of what they need to do, you know, to get those lines on their resume. I also think a lot of children, a lot of the kids we have, the traditional system isn't working for them. And they might have a diagnosis like, you know, Asperger's autism or ADHD. But when we work with them and we let them be who they are and shape our teaching to them, what comes out of these kids is incredible. And they're the ones who are gonna go change the world. They're the ones who, if we give them the power and we, and we give them the pathway, they're the ones who are gonna come up with the next best thing and be out there, you know, making the improvements in our society. And so I think, you know, these diagnoses should not be seen as um, a downfall. It's just more of a sign that they're not matching with their traditional system. We need to change the way that we teach to them because they are intelligent and they are capable. It's our system that isn't working, it's not the kids. So just a, a quick sort of like side note on that. Yeah. Have you ever read, um ender's shadow by orson scott card it sounds super familiar i read all i read every day so, so it's hard for me to remember the so, names so in ender's game is probably okay. one of the uh, um one of the I read that the, 
Yeah, that's like one of the most successful sci-fi novels of all time. He like mm-hmm. sells out of prints every single year and has since it was released in 1978. Anyway, it's like fantastic book, but he's got a whole world that's around those characters. Okay. And if you remember, if you remember Bean, who follows Ender um, through that book, he's got a whole series of books that are just about his story. And huh. you find out his his history, the reason why he's small, and he's got such an incredible amount of intelligence for his age and his size, is because of this you know this fictional thing called Anton's Key, which is essentially it's it's an unlock in the brain, that um, it's like a the dichotomy of like the reason our brain is limited is because of like how big it's allowed to get. Okay. Right. And so they unlocked this key in Bean. And so he actually, he never stops growing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so he actually becomes a giant in his story um, and, and dies because of that, because his body gets too big for himself. But because of, because of that, it also completely unlocked his mental capacity. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it just strikes me as like, it's the, a lot of the diagnoses you see for like autism and Asperger's, they're kind of like that fictional Anton's key. Something has been turned where like, maybe they don't have full access to the stuff that you might consider normal, but something else has been unlocked, Mm -hmm. right? There's brilliance there. If you can Mm -hmm. figure out how to stoke that flame. Yeah. And and it's totally possible. And we can actually work with those kids and still bring them into the classroom and they can be successful. It's not that we have to constantly you know, adjust for them. We can give them strategies so they can, you know, be successful in that classroom, but still give them a place where they can free and be, let their mind go. And it's incredible (laughs) what these kids, and it's related and it's on topic, but man, I mean, the stuff, sometimes they'll say, you know, I have, I came up with a a different um, algorithm for this and they'll like bust out this, I had a kid who came up with an algorithm for a Rubik's cube, for example. And he had a whole equation for it. It could solve a Rubik's cube in like five minutes and you, any Rubik's cube you gave him. And it was just incredible. Like, I, you know, I love that stuff because those are the kids that are going to change change the world. world. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and if we don't give them that platform and we just kind of suffocate them and label them and say, they're not capable, it's really, I mean, we're wasting so much human talent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I have two other thoughts on that, that are just on the things that you've talked about there. And Mm -hmm. one of them is with the whole, our, our grading system, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, if you get 70%, if you get it right, 70% of the time you get a C, you're just average. Yeah. Right. And, and like, I always, always really bothered me because like Mm -hmm. if you look at the people who are really successful they're like fail 100 200 300 a thousand times to get one success Mm -hmm. right and the one success is what changes the world right you know the Mm -hmm. most famous example of that is the light bulb right you know he learned 999,000 ways not to make a light bulb and Mm -hmm. one that didn't it changed the world Mm -hmm. right and um like i understand the idea like hey we're trying to make sure that they're learning and that we have to have some sort of gauge of that but at the same time you're also enforcing this idea that you're trying to be right most of the time. And really, I, I lucked out one of my teachers that, you know, still talks in my head all the time, used to tell me that failure is just the stepping stones to success. Yes. Right. And mm-hmm. how do we engender that um, mm-hmm. while still having to, you know, take our measurements? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that, that's, we work with that with our kids too. We, we actually use the terms that um, struggle and failure are inherent in growth and success. And it doesn't mean you're not smart or you're, you know, a failure. This is everyone struggles in order to succeed that it's, it it has to happen. (laughs) You know, no one just naturally just automatically succeeds. So we really work with our kids. We, we model it for them. We talk about our own struggles and successes, but we also use those failures 
as learning opportunities. So we don't just say, oh, you failed this test. Let's talk about it. What, what was the problem? What could be better next time? Or, you know, having them set goals. If they reach the goal, we discuss what led you to reach the goal. But if you didn't reach that goal, why not? You know, what, what led you to not reach that goal? At the end of the day, like I'm a scientist at heart. And so the one of our things as a scientist is when we have a hypothesis, even if the hypothesis is rejected, you still learn something you know, about the world. And so even if there's a failure, you're still learning, you're still gaining from it, as long as you go back and reflect and, and, you know, do your analysis and your conclusion and figure out from that. So when I was a teacher, you know, one of the things I did is I had to do standardized tests, but I always let the kids, if whatever they missed, I would have them, they can come sit with me, or I gave them many different opportunities to try to learn from that. And then they can redo that part either in a test situation or write out a response or do a project or some other way to show that they understand that concept rather than just being, you got to see that's the end of it, moving on to the next unit, because that's completely fails the purpose of an assessment in the first place. Assessments and in my company, we use assessments to see what we need to reteach um, and to give an opportunity for the kids to evaluate their learning on it. So if they miss a question before, because we give homework to them and we prep them for standardized tests, if they miss a question, we ask the kids to look over it on their own first, look at the answer, we give them the answers and look at their work and try to figure out where they went wrong on their own. That's that metacognition and we teach them how to do yeah. this. And if they still can't understand it, okay, now we're going to help explain it to them because that's something we need to teach them. That that's that's on me, yeah. not on you. That's where that's where we failed at teaching, not where exactly. you failed at understanding. Exactly. And then we're going to give you another assessment to make sure you understood it. It's not busy work. It's just to help. It. And we explain this to our kids. You know, this is to help us understand if you got it. You know, practice helps. You know, get things to be. Yeah. I always say, practice, 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 perform. You know, you got to practice it. And then if you still don't understand it, all right, we got to teach it a different way. Like it doesn't yeah, mean you're not smart. It's like that that idea that there's there's a difference between um, making a mistake and not understanding something. And yeah. it sounds like your your process is like, hey, did you just make a mistake here that you could go yeah, back and correct? Exactly. Or do you actually not understand it? And that's a failure on us for not teaching you mm -hmm. properly. And a lot of the kids will they have this term they always say, oh, it's a stupid mistake. And I I squash that super fast too because we don't say stupid mistakes. It was not even careless mistake. It was just a mistake. That's okay. Yeah. You know, you made a mistake. You caught sense. it. Yeah, and you caught it, and you learned you you found your own mistake. Celebration, you know, that you caught your own mistake is a a, a success in itself. And so there's just so many little things, little terms you can change the way we talk to our kids, the opportunities we provide for them that really changes their inner dialogue, really sets them up for a growth mindset, um, and just and just changes their whole perspective on learning in life. And it's so easy to do <laughs> while we're teaching calculus, while we're prepping them for the ACT. It's just so simple to do it. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, uh, like I had, I had this really fun moment um, a couple of months ago with my son. He's been really into uh, the Pokemon trading card game, which is a strategy game with cards. Um, and mm -hmm. there's a lot of planning and strategy involved in actually playing the game. Um, and he um, got like, I, I don't like, I, I play the game at a pretty high level with him. Um, so I don't ever like go easy on him. And yeah. <laughs> so like every time we do a, a, you know, a battle in this game at the end of the game, he would generally lose and we would go over like, okay, where's the yeah. strategy? And like, where, where did you fail? Where did you have the problem? And he would, um, you know, have all of these, uh, you know, like we would, we would adjust his deck and adjust his strategy and adjust things so we could deal with what I was giving to him. Um, and then like, it was constant, like little improvements. So it got to the point where he could honest to goodness, beat me 
right? Yeah. And, like, the first time that he, like, he got to the end of the game and he won, and he was like, oh, my gosh, I won. I can't believe I won. And we sat down and I was like, okay, now what did you learn from winning? And he was like, I didn't, like, I don't have anything to, like, go over. Like, I don't, I don't have, any, and I was like, mm. and I was like, so what, you remember what I was telling you? I was telling you, you learn more from your mistakes than you do from your successes. And, like, the light bulb went off in his head, and he was like, oh, my goodness, I need to lose more so I can learn to get really, really good. Uh, good job, Dad. <laughs> I love so, that story. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. And, for like, it was, a, I felt like it was a big win for me because I, yeah. like, I saw the light bulb go off where he was like, oh, man. Like, I see, like, he saw firsthand that he legitimately learns more when he doesn't, when he doesn't succeed than when yeah. he does. And it's Pokemon uh, cards, but he got that lesson for life now, you know, yeah. and that's, that's awesome. So anyways, I'm pretty, ex I was pretty excited about that person, yeah. but it's that same, <laughs> it's that same like thought process where you're going through mm -hmm. and teaching them that, Hey, like failure is not, it's not a, a character definition, right? It's, it's just an event that happens and you can use them as stepping stones to move forward mm -hmm. and to get better and to get stronger and to get, you know, to become a better person. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Cool. Well, then the flip side of your common enemy is your driving force, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you fight for in your business? I would say, I didn't really realize this until recently, but I feel like I'm trying to be the adult that I kind of wish I had as a kid. And, you know, provide That's kids cool with, think about it. yeah, the adult that, that they, they, a lot of us kind of wish we had as a kid, you know, be, be the person you wish you had as a kid really is the way it was said to me. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is because it really was through my own self-exploration that I realized it was a lot of my own, you know, the teachers who, you know, I was kind of a problem when I was a kid. And, you know, if you ask my mom, she said it was just, I was too smart and I was bored. You know, I was bored with everyone else and frustrated with that they weren't getting it fast enough. And so I would act out. And I had teachers in my life that saw through that and really sat with me on the side to give me that extra stimulation, whether it was after school or, you know, during class. And those are the ones I remember. And it wasn't again until now I'm reflecting back as a teacher, like what led me down this path? And I really do think that that it was them that inspired me to do the same for other people to really you know, it, it's hard. And, and, and I know a lot of our the, the parents listening probably already do this for their kids, but it's hard when you're a parent, you know, and you're trying to discipline and do all this other stuff to also, you know, be, you know, this like, you know, person that your kids look up to for, you know, education and inspiration. And so I like being that extra person to support the families and to be someone else that the kids can get guidance from. Um, even, you know, and, and, and then there's some cases where the parents don't have necessarily that skill set. And so we are that we are that person for those kids. So it really is just about giving them the support they need as kids so that they can grow into like truly, truly happy adults because they had someone rooting for them as a kid, teaching them those valuable lessons like you did with your son, helping them figure out who they are as people and, you know, be able to guide them down a path that's totally their own and be a, your age or my age and be truly, truly happy with their job. And I, I think that that's truly my driving force. Yeah, that's really cool. And it just, it reminds me of the, the couple of teachers in my life that I had mm -hmm. who, were, who were that for me. And I think yeah. probably everyone has, has those people in their mind. 
Um, and for me, it was like my the first one was a uh, was my seventh grade. I think it was seventh grade anyways, history teacher. Mm. And um, I remember he had assigned us a writing assignment on writing something about uh, Indians. I don't remember exactly what it was like. Yeah, the California Indians that uh, that lived in the area we were at. And we had to write a paper on it. And um, I turned in the paper. We come back and you know, come back a couple days later and they go hand all the papers out. And he didn't hand me back mine. Uh, and he instead he was like, I want you to see me after class. And I like freaked out. I was like, oh, God, I like it was so bad that like he's not even going to hand it back to me. And so I went in after class and he was like, I um, I've already worked this out with your parents. He's like, but I want to have you after after class for some extra tutoring. He's like, because you don't you don't write at a seventh grade level. He's like, you write it like a college mm -hmm. level. Um, mm -hmm. And he was like, so if I gave you back your paper, like I graded it at a college level for you. Um, and it's just it was blood. It was a bloodbath like all over red red stuff and he was like i didn't want to like freak you out in class and like have yeah. you cry in front of all your friends because i yeah. ruined it um but he was like he's like you can be held to a higher standard because of some skills that you have and i want to help help you with that mm. um and so like it was it was super cool for me so i spent a good six or seven weeks with him every day after school just learning how to write like write better because he saw something there that i had that not a lot of the you know not, not a lot of seventh graders have yeah <laughs> and so it was like it's like people like that who see something in you and take go the extra mile that really make a difference in someone's life long term. So. Exactly. And, and, and think of, then you go down a path and you're happy and then you're happy in your family. So you're a happy person for your children, for your wife and think of how that ripples. And it's just, I mean, everything is so related and connected that it's like, it's not just about that one person anymore. You know, yeah. it really does expand out. And so and it really just comes down to, again, figuring out yourself and what you're good at having sometimes when your kids, we have to model that for them and say, you know, this is something you're really good at, you know, um, and helping them figure that out and yeah. go down. It's crazy, too, because like chances are he probably doesn't even remember my name or even right. know how much of an impact he had on <laughs> mm -hmm. my life or that like he's one of the people in my life that I hold up in my head yeah. as being like. He, but that's he not a, what it's about. Yeah, he was a yeah. defining moment for me, but he'll never uh -huh. know. Mm hmm. And I, I mean, I have students who reach out to me and sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't remember the student at all, but they'll say, you know, I, I stood out to them in their life at a time when they needed it and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, again, it's not about being remembered. I'm not doing it to be remembered. You know, it's more, yeah. I'm doing it just to help them be authentic to who they are and to really find happiness. And I'm just so happy that they do. It's, it's that, it's that ripple effect. You do it for yes. the ripple effect and yeah. it's real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes you get to see it. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, I know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> so my next question for you then is more practical, right? So um, I call this the hero's tool belt and every superhero has a tool belt with awesome gadgets like batarangs or web slingers, um, or, you know, a big magical hammer like Thor. Um, I want to talk about top one or two tools you use in your business that you couldn't live without. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar, to your marketing tools, to something you use to actually deliver for your clients. Um, right, something that you use regularly for that. So, you know, something that you think is essential to getting your job done. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say for me, any of my organizational tools, so my calendar, my notepad, um, all of my Google Drive, keeping everything organized there, man, I'm a spreadsheet queen. That's really the surface of why people see me on, on the outside of being, you know, really get things done it's really because I'm writing everything down <laughs> because things come in my head and are out real fast. And if I don't write it down and get it in its appropriate area, 
then it's not going to get done. And so I'm the one that just gets things done fast or, you know, in an organized way, but that's because of all the structures I have in place. And if I didn't have those, I'd probably be totally scatterbrained. And I think it comes down to just the way, again, metacognition and knowing how my brain operates. Um, I think I have a little bit of the ADD, ADHD. And so it's very hard for me to focus. And this is one of the tools that I've developed over the years to really help me follow through on things and stay on track. And it's one of the things I also present to some students and see if it works for them. Um, and then I would also say, honestly, I don't know if this is considered a tool, but it goes back to a little bit what we talked about before of being able to read people. I, I, I have people in my life who I've chosen to be in my life who are just so wonderful, who have been in my life from the beginning and they're really great sounding boards. And so there's, there's so many people who genuinely want me to be happy and successful and will help me with whatever I need help with, whether it's just me kind of throwing an idea off of them or actually trying something out, whatever it is. That, I, that, that are always ready, always available and always there to do it because I think they know I would do the same for them, but we also just have that, that love for each other. And I, I, I literally don't even know the kind of person I'd be without a lot of them. So it's, I, I tell them all the time, like, man, if you weren't around, I don't even know where I would have gone to. That's a magical thing to have in your life too. Mm -hmm. I, I call it having a running mate, right? You know, you might mm. you know, might, might not be running the same race or going the same direction, but they're you know you're both running together, yes. right? You're going you're going somewhere in your life, um, and you know the the one who's who will always pick up the phone when you call, regardless yes. of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And like I got one one of those guys in my life, um, and I literally run like everything I'm doing past him. Uh -huh. Just because like, if I don't, I know it's not going to go as well as it did if I did uh -huh. run the past M1. And they give once. you good, honest feedback. I mean, they're going to yeah. tell you, you know, I don't like this. I do like that. I mean, yeah. And you yeah. know, it comes from a place of love. You know, it all comes from, they truly genuinely care. Um, and I'm, gosh, I'm so thankful to have them. Even, you know, a lot of them <laughs> have been in my life since I was six, seven years old. And they've just really been a steady running mate throughout my whole life, through everything. And it's, it's incredible and so fortunate so so i have i have a a question for the the teacher side of you here and this yeah. is just something that, that's been fascinating because of the differences between my wife and i and how we like organize our lives so both of us like <laughs> have have a, a a calendar right and the calendar okay. is really important to like making things go like actually happen but my calendar is like it's on my phone and it's incredibly yeah. functional right like if it it's it's got to be digital if it's written down somewhere it might as well not exist right because i'm never going to look at it it's never going to work if it's on a paper calendar and one of those those planner things um and like if it doesn't alarm me when it's time to do things it might as well again not exist my wife on the other hand her digital calendar does not work for her at all in any mm -hmm. by any stretch of the imagination she's like she's got to have her paper book mm -hmm. and it's got to be pretty and mm -hmm. she's got to have her stickers and her drawings and her mm -hmm. fun pens, or it's not useful for her. And I'm just curious, how often do you see things like that when mm -hmm. people are like organizing their lives and how important like learning how to organize your mind, so to speak, is to actually learning how to learn? Well, first of all, you realize the reason why you guys are different is that auditory and visual learning, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, she's very visual. So, and as am I, and that's why mine's a paper calendar as well. And it's very pretty and everything is organized. And yeah, I'm the same, same way. And it's funny because I spot that in my kids. I always tell my tutors, if you have a kid that opens their binder and it's highlighted and color coded, you know, 
this is a visual learner. You run with it. You know, you can, you can tell. And then you're more auditory, how to have the bell to go off, like you said. So really finding something that fits for you, I think is crucial. And there's so many methods out there. For me, there's no way I could put it on my phone. I don't like putting it in there. I don't like things crunched in. I don't like, it just stresses me out. I don't, and, but then if I lose, like this. yes, exactly. <laughs> I like to have it laid out where I can see the whole week. And everyone tells me, but you can do that with your phone too, but it's not the same. Like I like to be able to flip because I'm also very kinesthetic. I'm a very yeah. tactile learner. So I like to flip. I like to move. I like to count. You know, there's just, it, it works for me. And people think I'm crazy because I literally carry around this planner and people will try to make plans with me. And I'm like, I have to wait till I get home because I have it on my planner at home. <laughs> like you can't, you can't ask me right now. I'll write it down in my phone as a reminder, but I can't answer it until I get home. And people are like, are you kidding me? You, how do you not have this in your phone? Um, so yes, I think really it just comes down to finding a method that works for you and tapping it into honestly your dominant learning style, your natural learning style. But it is it is a tool that you can use, and it doesn't again mean you're you know um, disorganized or you know you're la lazy about things. It just means you need a little extra help <laughs> to be able to you stay on top those of. Exactly. And that's are. okay. But yeah. So just, just out of curiosity, how important to running your business is your calendar? Extremely critical. <laughs> like there's been times I've left my calendar places and I'm in full on panic. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know my life. Um, and not only that, because I schedule, we schedule students and we have reminders going out to them. And then my tutors have their schedules. So honestly, the logistics of all of this is massive. Um, but the weird thing is I don't really have things planned out more than like a couple weeks in advance. So as organized as I am, I'm not super far in advance. And maybe that's because I know I got to be flexible and I adjust, yeah, you know? Yeah. So I know this week, I literally have my week planned out to the minute for this week. But if you ask me next week, it's still in flux. Um, but the, the reason I brought up the calendar thing is like, it's, it's one of the things that on this, on this show, like you're, you're right around 150 or so guests that we've had on the show. And probably a good 90% of them have all said that their calendar is like the key to running their business. Huh. And it's always struck me as like, it's such a strange thing because like my, my non-entrepreneurial family and friends are like, my life doesn't revolve around my calendar. And I'm like, huh. I would die without my calendar. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> I don't know. How, like, like I, I, I can't do things or plan things or work like, like it's a full on family, panic. Yeah. Yeah. Like my family time is planned in there. And I'm like, my wife, my wife knows that like, I've got my, my calendar for work and my calendar for family mm -hmm. stuff. I'm like, if you want me to be there, drop it onto the family calendar mm -hmm. and it'll block out my time and my work schedule. And yeah. like, it's all like that. My, you know, my mom is like, that's insane. Like, and I'm like, it's not insane. I promise you all the other entrepreneurs are the same way. <laughs> and I don't think I'd, you'd be successful without it. Like I wouldn't be able to follow through on things and I would, people wouldn't be able to rely on me and trust me. And yeah, I mean, it's crucial. It's in the, my calendar's in the other room right now. And even I'm like a little bit like, You're like oh, it's too far away from <laughs> too me. Too far away. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And so anyways, I just, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting, interesting. tool that so many entrepreneurs yeah. find, find invaluable is their calendar. And then also to find out how frequently the way that calendar gets used is very different person to person, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. drawing in a bullet journal, like my wife, or it sounds like you might do, or using their digital calendar, the big wall calendars. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's, there's something about it. You just have to 
you have to, to organize your life in order to do all the things I, you know, I say entrepreneurs are like those plate spinners, right? If you're going to keep all the plates spinning, you have to know where they are and when they have, when you have to be there. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel a little bit better. Cause that's actually one of the things we really work on our kids with is, um, they're planning, they're prioritizing their time management and learning a system for themselves. And so it's cool to know that so many entrepreneurs really rely on that. And we're really focusing on teaching those skills to the kids. So it's good. We're creating entrepreneurs, creating entrepreneurs. And like to your point too, about only, only having things a couple of weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I've learned. Um, I learned really, really hard becoming a full-time traveler that has spilled over into my business Mm -hmm. is that like, it's easy to have long-term goals. Like, Hey, I'm trying to get to New York, Mm -hmm. but if you try to plan every stop along Mm -hmm. the way, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Exactly. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, I can plan my next couple of stops for the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks. But if I try to go three months out and be like, yep. Hey, this is where I'm going to be, you know, three months out at five o'clock, you might as well have just given yourself, you, you can just paint the failure on there right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, life's going to happen. Things yeah. Are gonna and change. it seems so contradictory, right? Like to be so organized and like everything's on your calendar, but then like, I'm the same way when I travel, everyone would think I'd have like a strict schedule. And I'm like, no, I kind of have an idea of things I want to see and do, but if it's raining, I don't want to be disappointed that I bought these tickets and now I can't go do it. You know, I want to be able to adjust. Yeah. So it it really, I mean, it makes sense, but you're right. It probably comes from traveling. That's probably where I got that from. Yeah. Yeah. And I've noticed it's got a a huge positive impact on my business too. Cause then you're Mm -hmm. like, you're, you're like, I know where my destination is. And mm-hmm. I know where I'm going. And it's just like, I'm working on the, the next couple of yeah. steps that are going to get me closer there. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's a cool stuff to talk about with your calendar. Mm-hmm. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the hero show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So I only got a couple more questions for you. Okay. The next one here is about your own personal heroes, right? So every hero has their mentors. Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan, Robert Kiyosaki has a rich dad, and Spider-Man has an Uncle Ben, right? So who are some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, um, speakers or authors, peers who are a couple of years ahead of you, maybe teachers? Um, and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far in your life? 
So this is a really good question. I had to really think about this one. Um, I mean, obviously the few teachers that I can name that were you know, definitely influential in my life in helping me find who I was and, and really saw me for you know, beneath that, that troublesome kid. Um, but honestly, when it comes to anything you know, academics or, or career-wise, it's very hard for me to think of a lot of people that I had as role models growing up, or even now I'm starting to get more of them as I'm really embracing this business owner side of me. But honestly, I think the biggest role model in my life was my grandma, and she was more about showing me the person to be. And it's funny because even now with my company, we really, um, we've, we try not to focus too much on kids like characteristics or their grades. So instead of saying like, oh, you're so smart, you got an A, we like to say things like, wow, you worked so hard on this, you know, really praising their effort more than like their grade. And I, and I think I learned that a lot from my grandma because she saw me for who I was beyond my grades, beyond, you know, my test scores. She really saw that, you know, she would tell me you're kind and you're loving and she would give me, um, glimpses of who I was as a person. And she is also one of the people who really um, saw people for who they were and loved them for who they were at that moment rather than who they were gonna become or who she thinks they should be. And people were just drawn to her for that. You know, they felt so accepted and seen. And I think that, you know, I obviously that worked for me. It helped me understand who I was. And I, and I see that I do that with other people, not just my students, but I've even had, you know, friends and people in my life say that, that they really just feel like they can be who they are when they're with me and, and they still feel very loved. And I think that's like the best compliment you can give me, you know, is that I make you feel truly who you are and accepted for it. It is really cool. But I, I think I learned that from her. And um, I think we can all do that, honestly, instead of, you know, seeing people as objects to change and mold or be improved, really just seeing the beauty in who they are and all the good in them and, and loving them for that, I think is the greatest gift that you can give to people. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder if there's there's something about being a grandma that just makes that like, a thing. Because <laughs> I, I learned almost, I, I learned like the same lesson from my grandmother who's, you huh. know, she's, passed, she's passed away now. Mm -hmm. But I remember, I, I remember it so vividly um, a number of occasions where she showed me that who I was and who I was to her was mm -hmm. more important than anything else in the world. Yes. Um, and that's such a, it's such an, it's such a visceral lesson to learn. Um, and it impacts you forever too. And I remember I was probably seven years old and I knocked over a really expensive vase on my grandmother's table. It's like one of those really nice crystal ones. that was probably a couple of thousand dollars and it shattered all over the marble floor. And I remember freaking out um, because I thought like, like the world was over and like if it had been my mom's my mom probably would have been in prison because she'd have murdered me right <laughs> but my grandmother she just picked me up and took me out of the thing out of, of all the glass things and she was like you know it's just a vase there's nothing more important in the world than than you and who you are and mm -hmm. that you're safe and like that kind of stuff and i remember later when i went back home my mom told me she was like that was a really expensive vase that you broke um and and uh i just it's always stuck with me because it was mm -hmm. it's that that lesson that who you are to someone else is more mm -hmm. important than what you do yes um so 
and, and I, and I see myself doing that now as a teacher and I teach my tutors to do that, you know, again, praising the effort and the, the, you know, the person rather than the outcome. Um, because I think that that helps people really develop an innate sense of self-worth that's not contingent on external, you know, systems. And they really find out, you know, why they're valuable as people. And, and that's just crucial. I mean, we all need to kind of know why, why we're important and why we're special. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, because of that lesson, it, it turned me into a lot more careful person around things that were, you know, expensive mm-hmm. and nice. Right? Isn't that like, funny? Like, and it, yeah, it's, it's interesting, like how, how that lesson, like it actually, it, mm-hmm. it stuck and, and it changed a little bit about who I was. And I actually, it changed the effort and the outcome in my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I know it's a, it's a cool thing. So anyways, that's a cool story. I love grandmas and um, mm-hmm. I, you know, everyone needs a grandma. So. Oh man. Yeah. I was lucky. I actually, I lived with her for a while, like, especially during a stage in my life when I really needed to. And man, again, she's one of those ones where I'm like, what would I be without you? You know, you just thank goodness I had you. So yeah, yeah everyone absolutely. needs a grandma like that or an auntie. Everyone I'm an auntie. Like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i have i've been told by one of my nieces that i'm her favorite uncle so i figured yeah um, I'm, I'm working on that mm-hmm. it's fun <laughs> so, it is it is fun and um i'm i'm having to she's a teenager um which i didn't think like i was that far removed from teenagerhood um because you know i'm only in my 30s right and like she says things to me all the time and i'm like damn it i have to look that up because i don't know what it means yeah yeah <laughs> which i assume totally. you probably deal with a lot oh, yeah. dealing with with teenagers oh, yeah. well it's fun because i mean i feel like they keep me young you know they keep me kind of fresh with things but yeah i all the time i mean and the kids like that they like the kind of the vulnerability or the dorkiness where i'm like oh i don't know what that is let's i'll learn that dance with you let's do it and i'm sitting here doing things like i'm fighting karate you know and they're like that's so not the dance move <laughs> But yeah, exactly. I mean, it keeps it keeps things fun. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my my urban dictionary is my best friend whenever yeah. I'm talking to any of my uh, mm-hmm. teenage family members. So <laughs> it can steer you wrong sometimes, though. I've had it steer me wrong a couple of times, so be careful. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So one of my my last question here for you is about your guiding principles, all right? And it's one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Right. For instance, Batman um, never kills his enemies. He only brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview and I talk about top one or two principles that you use regularly in your life, maybe something you wish you had known when you first started out on your own hero's journey. Honestly, I know I've said it a couple of times already, but I cannot say it enough is really trust your intuition. Um, I, I think that that's, that's a major <laughs> lesson that all of us need because we all have it. And I think some of us have suppressed it, but man, it's super powerful. It might, you might call it a gut feeling or, you know, whatever it is, but really like truly, truly trust that. And if something doesn't feel right, don't, don't do it. And if something gets you excited and, you know, you can't, you're still thinking about it days later, then that means you need to go for it. So um, kind of my advice to people is always like when they're deliberating on something, I'm like, well, what makes you feel, ah. you know, what, what kind of makes you like sigh out that that's, that's the one you need to go for. Um, I probably say that's my biggest one. And then the other is, let me think how to say this. When, when, when I made career changes, I had a a lot of people who were um, projecting some negativity onto me about it. And I realized that a lot of people 
have their own fears and their own worries because of things in their own life. And I was able to separate that and realize that they were kind of projecting their own issues onto me and it had nothing to do with me. So also knowing how to, which people to trust and to turn to and which people to know they're still coming from a place of love because they are worried about you, but it really has nothing to do with you. It's their own kind of issues. Um, and being able to separate the two and know which one is the one that is going to lead you down the right path and which one is the one that's just going to feed into that negative self-talk. Um, that's been a really powerful lesson for me too, not only to forgive the people who kind of <laughs> were naysayers in the beginning, but also to know how to take advice for what it is and know which advice is helpful and which advice really has nothing to do with me. Yeah, yeah, it's a that's an interesting thing, right? And I remember um, I was lucky enough that uh, I had I had a, a, a particular book put in my hand when I was a young young entrepreneur, young kid um, that talked specifically about how to take advice from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the reality is like people will like everyone will give you advice, whether you um, ask for it or not, <laughs> whether you ask for it or not, yeah. and whether or not they're qualified to give you advice mm-hmm. in that area. Mm-hmm. And um, it was one of the things that, that he said was like, you, you need to look at the results the person has in that particular area, mm-hmm. right? And just because they're a great parent doesn't mean they're a great accountant, mm-hmm. right? And, or it doesn't mean that they're a great, you know, spiritual leader or whatever, right? So you might, you might take parenting advice from someone here, but you might not take their same advice on business and other things. Um, and I remember learning that at a young age and it's, a, it w- it's been incredibly valuable to learn how to judge the advice that comes that comes in because it's always going to come in um and and then like secondary that learning how to seek out the people who have the result that you want so you can Mm -hmm. get advice that fits for the thing that you need and Um, and being willing to be vulnerable and ask for help when needed too that's been a big one for me because it almost comes off like a weakness and then you're like in debt to people And I never wanted to come off as either of those, but realizing that when you're asking the right person, that that's not how it is at all. You know, they're happy to help and they don't see you as weak. They're, they're just there to help you be a better, you know, better, whatever you need help with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you realize how, how often, um, and it's, it's interesting too, because it's particularly, it's the, the people who have results in an area are not the ones who are going to vilify you for asking for help in that area. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, and, and you can almost, you can like, that's one of those things that you, your intuition will start to pick up on mm-hmm. is if they are being, you know, negative or mean about asking advice, mm-hmm. they probably don't really have the results that you're looking mm-hmm. for. Um, and that's their issue. There's probably some insecurity or something going on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that all goes back to like learning how to, how to feel that with your intuition, which mm-hmm. is, it's a hard skill mm-hmm. um, to pick up. You got to practice it. You do, but it's, it's, it's one of those things, like you were saying before, the more you practice it, the more confident you get in it, and then you can fine tune it. So just at least, you know, start by being aware of it and listening for it. And like I said, that always, I always go with that ah, feeling is probably the easiest way I can describe it. Um, but it is, it's, it's something we all have. Yeah. And I, I wish we really tapped into it more. Yeah. And I think like, I, personally, I think it's like, it's the most important with relationships, mm-hmm. right? With someone, if someone gives you that that weird feel they probably mm-hmm. don't need to be in your life because mm-hmm. it's going it's something bad's going to happen with it at some point and it's 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 hard to listen to your intuition when that person is a family member or 
you know a close friend or a friend of a friend or something like that where it's like you you feel like hey if i don't if i don't do something with this relationship that you're going to disappoint people you realize mm-hmm. sometimes it's not worth it you just need to make sure that mm-hmm. person's not in your life and that's a really hard thing to listen to your intuition in those areas and i'd even expand that to clients I've had yeah. some clients that I didn't have a great feeling about, and I just rather than kind of push it through, I was like, you know what, but I just don't think this is going to work. Um, and that's hard as a business owner because you're kind of like, you don't want to pass up a client. But if you have a bad feeling about something, it's just not worth it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's harder as a younger entrepreneur, like earlier in your business, when you like, you need the revenue. Yeah. Um, and you're like, I need the revenue, but I've got a bad feeling. And then yes. so you take the revenue instead of the bad feeling. And then you're like, oh, I should, it was not worth the revenue. Not worth it. Cause then you end up in a deeper hole, probably, you know, one bad client yeah. can really get you in some trouble. So yeah, follow that and don't, don't feel bad about, you know, blocking those people from coming in. Absolutely. Well, that's basically a wrap on our interview, Lindsay, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge I call the Heroes Challenge. And we do this basically as a selfish thing to help myself get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come on our show and share their story? First person that comes to mind for you. So the first one um, that comes to mind is my friend, Sarah, who is a personal trainer. And I know like, you know, with especially everything with the pandemic, she had just started a new job, but then she got laid off. And rather than kind of, again, like we were saying, like, let's just sit down and do Netflix. She completely built this whole new brand and is just out there with this massive following. And it's been really cool to see. Um, kind of, again, this person who doesn't really have a business background or really anyone to turn to for business advice. She's come to me for a few things. Um, But other than that, she doesn't really have anyone to just really blow up. Has been super cool to see. And I'm I'm just really, really proud of her. Awesome. Well, we'll reach out after the show and see if we can connect with her and get her, bring her on and hear her story a little bit. That'd be cool. Maybe it'll even help her grow a little bit. Yeah. So, um, what I want to do now then is just the uh, our our send off right in comic books. There's always the crowd of people who are you know standing along the side and clapping for the hero for their uh, their acts of heroism. So our, our analogous to that is as we close is you know I find out where where can people find you um, if they want your help in the future. Where can they uh, light up the bat signal so to speak and say hey Lindsay I have a child or children who need help with their schooling right and more importantly who are the right types of people to reach out and ask for your help. Um, so the best place to start is the website. So it's worldwisetutoring.com. And um, people who would reach out to me would be parents or honestly, I'm always, always looking for anyone to collaborate with who has a similar mindset with the kids to know it's beyond just what's on the surface. There's so much more because parents are always looking to me for referrals. So anyone who works with families um, and children and has a similar mindset as I do, I'm always willing to chat with them. Um, I'm also on all social media, so you can go on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and where I'm everywhere. Just look up Worldwise with an S, Worldwise Tutoring, and you'll find me. Um, one of the things I've been doing a lot during this pandemic is giving out like daily tips for parents and free resources. So that'd be a really nice place to start if you're trying to implement some of these things on your own. Um, but otherwise, the website, I have a blog, I have a student handbook, I have all the resources on there. There's lots of good stuff on there. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Lindsay. It's been a pleasure having you here. And if you do have students in your life who might need a little help, 
um, definitely check out Wonderwise Tutoring. Um, I think if you've, if you've listened to this, you definitely can hear the passion in Lindsay's voice for what she does. Um, and Lindsay, thank you again for coming on. Is there any uh, final words of wisdom you have for our audience before we hit this little stop record button? Um, it's easy to do. Be the, be the adult that you wish you had when you were a kid. So and it's easy to do for our kids. Awesome. Thank you very much, Lindsay.